Linnaean. Linnaean. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. London. Linnaean Society of London. Linnaean. Linnaean. Future. Future. What is natural capital? In a sort of neat definition, it is the elements of the natural environment which provide valuable goods and services to people. For example, a woodland can be regarded as a natural capital asset. But why? Because it reduces flood risk and captures carbon from the atmosphere. These are only two reasons of a woodland. Natural capital can be widely varied as well. It includes soils, wetlands, mangroves, or even bees pollinating flowers. Human labor, manufactured goods, and financial capital are routinely considered in financial and management decisions. Supporters of the idea of natural capital see it as a means to elicit due recognition for the environment. The true value of environmental services such as trees cleaning air or fungi decomposing organic matter has not ever been taken into account when we measure the value of something. The aim is to ensure that we maintain not only the flow of benefits, which is ecosystem services, but also the natural world's capacity to yield those benefits. And that is referred to as natural capital stocks, such as the woodland we just referred to would be a natural capital stock. The idea is based on our current global value system of credit and consumption, which is driven by money. Now, given the fact that this is the very system which has caused deep environmental harm, including climate change and biodiversity loss, we do need to ask the question, is our current value system protecting the world? So this is the very question we put forward to Mustafa Zaidi, who has spent three decades in the field of finance with experience from multiple angles as advisor, asset manager, and an entrepreneur building a multi-billion dollar business. The focus of his work has always been twofold. What drives asset prices and where the natural world resides in a changing monetary and energy framework. The outcome of his work is to provide public presentations and to combine with this public debate in order to clarify complex information for effective decisions. Is our current value system protecting the natural world? So before we get into the question, perhaps we should uh, deconstruct what the question actually uh, means and let's take this uh, piece at a time. So we'll have to ask ourselves what is our current value system? Our current value system is essentially uh, made up of credit and consumption and is material in nature. Next we have to ask well what does this mean for our, our hierarchy of values? Well, They're primarily dominated by, by money. The more complex part is what do we mean by the natural world? When most people talk about the natural world, they tend primarily to be talking about just the climate, which is the carbon cycle. But I think we need to divide the, the natural world into uh, its two big components. Uh, first is the climate, which is the carbon cycle, and the second one is biodiversity. From what I have read, we don't need as much biodiversity as we need the carbon cycle to get to zero. So you can save humanity in terms of uh, addressing the natural world by addressing the climate issue and the carbon cycle and effectively still end up destroying biodiversity. 
So there's no implicit saving of biodiversity by, by doing right by the climate. On the other hand, if you save biodiversity, explicitly you'll be saving the climate. So I think if you were to weigh the two, I would say biodiversity is a more critical component than the climate. If you save biodiversity, you will save the climate. But if you save the climate, you necessarily may not save biodiversity. And this is the current path we seem to be on because the focus for human beings seem to be on the environmental front, seems to be on the carbon cycle. And then finally, what are we trying to uh, uh, protect uh, the natural world? So we're trying to sustain our current value system. And our current value system is credit and consumption and driven by money. So we're trying to save a credit consumption world and we're using tools which I've often said are coming from that world which is for example natural capital and for example ESG. Environmental, social and governance criteria are a set of standards for the way a company is run. Investors who believe themselves to be socially conscious use these criteria to assess what companies they would like to invest in. Environmental criteria refer to how well a company is doing at being a steward of nature. And social criteria refer to how it manages its relationships with employees, suppliers, customers, and the communities where it operates. Overall governance looks at a company's leadership, executive pay, audits, internal controls, and shareholder rights. It's quite paradoxical that we are using tools created by the credit consumption system to save and sustain the natural world. The natural world, as we've uh, defined it for ourselves, is a finite good, while credit is an infinite good. Uh, credit is uh, essentially uh, we are delaying uh, payment in order to consume today. So you are dif dividing the finite by the infinite, and so far the result has been clear, and you've seen that in the um, data in the Living Planet Index, which continues to decline. It's lost roughly 65% of its biodiversity from the time they started measuring it, while credit has gone up uh, nearly from a trillion to roughly now 80 trillion. So the numbers that went nearly five years ago and projected the numbers forward, they're right on track as our debt credit has gone up uh, roughly 20 trillion in that time period. Our natural world has lost another uh, roughly 10%. So that, that path is, is, is consistently declining in the Living Planet Index and consistently rising in the credit consumption model, irrespective of the way uh, natural capital and ESG are acting as uh, theoretical protectors of a system that they're not questioning and simply want to sustain. Natural capital and ESG, by placing the natural world into the credit system, which now we know is built on infinite growth, and additionally we have now shown twice in a dozen years to be highly unstable, because we saw it occur in 2008, and natural capital and ESG tools want to place the natural world, which we have defined as something we need to protect and is precious to us, 
and finite uh, into a system, the credit system, which is infinite and unstable. So none of us would like to place anything that's precious to us, our children, um, our parents, into um, a vehicle that is um, unstable and, um, uh, and is running at some infinite speed. We would, you would think we're mad. But that's what ESG and, and natural capital are asking us to do. The natural world will be joining the way natural capital and ESG define it, an asset on the balance sheet of a credit system, which then in effect will create a liability on the other side. Uh, uh, which is more debt, and more debt means more consumption, and more consumption means less natural world. In order to address this question, we'll have to consider a way of altering the functioning of what we mean by the credit system and effectively to save the natural world, to, uh, to protect the natural world. We have to then re-risk the system to put the risk where it actually belongs, because risk has been globalized, meaning you can take a risk in one portion of the globe, reap the benefits in another portion of the globe, and leave the problem where it was created, but reap the benefits where you decide to be. So if you're a global corporation, you can incorporate in a, in a in a treasure island, pick a you know, nice Caribbean place, and you can uh, do a deal in Ireland and then do a deal in Belgium, create your phones in China and sell them anywhere you want, but the, where the pollution and where the, um, any uh, natural world destruction takes place is not part of that. You don't take the risk of that, but you take the gain of the end result. So by re-risking, it means that uh, you are looking at a uh, de-globalized system again, because the money system, the credit system, uh, the legal system is globalized. And a global system, unlimited, unfettered, is eating up the natural world. A very simple thing. You're re-risking the corporation and making it equal to us because we have personal liability. So if we have it, well, they should have it too. Or make all of us companies. I don't want to be a citizen anymore. Make me a company too, which would be ridiculous, but that's, it should, we should be an equal. It should be an equality. And if that's the case, that'll give us some hope of at least protecting the natural world. Because now if I have a positive view on the natural world and the corporation doesn't, well, at least we're on the uh, equal battleground and we have similar power to make our views seen. Right now, it's utterly unequal. We have, we have no chance. Money can go anywhere. So if I want to sit here and make an investment in um, Norway, there's no problem, but I can't go work in Norway. I'm stuck to my citizenship, but my money can go anywhere. That's also, people say, well, that helps with trade, that helps with, yes, it helps with all of that because it's part of a credit system, but it doesn't help you protect nature because I, I'm not, the, the mobility of capital and the immobility of labor means that the capital is always, the mobile is always going to dominate the immobile. 
So again, I'm, I'm unequal. If I'm unequal, I'm going to lose. So I can't protect the natural world or I have no ability to do that. Another example, just make capital and labor equal. We're not asking that you should make it benefit to labor. I'm saying, no, just equalize it. Just like with the corporation, just equalize it. We, we don't want uh, unequal treatment. We simply want equal treatment. And then once you've done that, what will occur is the law, and this is a, a sort of deviating on the side, financial assets and intellectual property technology are legal constructs. They only exist in the law. So, you know, Google can take its patent anywhere. It's, it, it exists only in the law. It doesn't exist outside the law. So therefore, the law is an extremely powerful tool for anyone owning uh, intellectual or financial assets, which are global. So well, that, that's also unequal. Therefore, if you want to come in and play in my country, local laws should dominate over global laws. There is no problem Google coming over to the UK, but then they don't get to design their network for uh, tax, jurisdiction, uh, movement of money, movement of profits outside of the jurisdiction that it occurs in. The local laws dominate over all of these are examples of re-risking. If we're given some time, we can, we can have many examples of re-risking. But the idea is you need to re-risk the system. And by re-risking the system, you will have a, an opportunity or the capacity to protect the natural world and it'll change your value system. Our last 12 months, we've been re-risked. The pandemic has re-risked us all. I speak for myself, you, you have a different, you know, your lens has suddenly changed. What you thought was super important now is not as important and, and things that were important are now very important. So that means I've been re-risked to put the idea of values back on the table. I think our value system comes always from the creation myths that we um, come from. So if you go back to the earlier conversation of the seven lean years, seven fat years, uh, which is religious, you know, savings and investment, which is in Protestant work ethic and, and material and consumption, which is today, the first two have a creation myth. So the creation myth is, is, you know, is religious in nature. The first creation myth is from Sumer. It's Enuma Elish, which was the, the first creation myth we know of. And in it, humanity was created. The purpose of humanity was to bring balance to order from chaos. That was the, that's the reason we came into being. So the entire civilization was all about staying in balance in, in that time period. Uh, and then when you move forward, each creation myth has its own value system embedded in it. Our current creation myth is what? I don't think we have a creation myth. We, we just have a money myth. You know, it starts with money, it ends with money, and all the conversation surrounds it is about money. So we can only see it through the lens of money. So that's our creation myth. I think, implicitly. And therefore, there is no hierarchy. The hierarchy is money, then other money, and then some more money. That, that's our hierarchy.
And going back to your question, if you address things like you know, local laws over global laws, corporations should be equal to, to people, money should be equal to, to people in terms of mobility. If these go in, in place, by doing so, it will in itself create a new hierarchy of values from which will emanate the capacity to protect the natural world. So I would be very interested if you asked the uh, listeners what would be their hierarchy of values because our current system is is very singular it's money it is from those hierarchy of values and the decisions of making these these changes re-risking the credit system that you will have a chance to protect the natural world which is biodiversity and climate not climate and then biodiversity. It's biodiversity first, then the climate, because in effect it'll save it. Then that chance will come forward by these actions. They, they themselves will create a new, uh, a new hierarchy of values, which I think is where we should be heading. If we have any chance of protecting the natural world. So if our current global value system is based on credit and consumption, which is driven by money, are there other innovative ways out there of valuing nature? What are people doing in various regions? Are we already strapped into this economist point of view? Do we have to implement such ideas, such as natural capital? Next, we chat with Amoni Kituke, who believes otherwise. He tells us about his organization, which has used a value system that doesn't prescribe to the global value system. Instead, it focuses on protecting the natural world and maintaining the identity and health of the local people. So, my name is Amonich Toke. I work at the Cross-Cultural Foundation of Uganda, which is um, a national non-governmental organization that works to promote the uh, appreciation of culture as vital for human development in Uganda and in many other parts of the world project that we just concluded uh, was named uh, Melting Snow and Rivers in Flood. And the motivation for that naming is that the Renzori Mountains in the western part of Uganda, they are shared also with the eastern part of uh, Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, are having their glaciers melt away uh, due to, as an impact of uh, climate change. And one French result of that is that uh, rivers in the area are flooding and with this they are taking away heritage, cultural heritage, specifically washing away many of the cultural heritage sites that are very dear to the people in the Renzori region. But also the, uh, the project has an element that is on the River Nile somewhere towards the northern part of Uganda a place called Wanglei, which is a very historic uh, site for the people called the Alur and the Acholi, collectively called the Luo people. This is where the grandfathers had uh, made the historic separation to make the two ethnic groups. The thinking behind the project uh, was to try and protect the cultural heritage sites from the impact of climate change, specifically from river flooding, because as I said, 
in the Renzoris, when rivers flood, they wash away specific parts of a cultural heritage site that are relevant to people's rituals, to worship practices, and to, to nature, to vegetation. There is, for example, in some practices, you'll find that they use certain plants, and when these get washed away, then a part of heritage is lost. In Wanglei, which I've just mentioned, there is a spot where the actual separation of the two brothers happened and that got submerged as the water levels went up. And I'll explain that story maybe a little bit. The story of the two brothers goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. One of them was a hunter and when the other uh, borrowed one spear, it, somehow an animal went with it. And when the animal went with it, the other demanded that he brings it back. So when the other demanded that he brings it back, he had to go into the wilderness to go to chase after the animal. Long story short, it was a very long journey. It was a very um, a challenging journey. When he came back, he had been given some beads by a deity in the wilderness. When he came back, he handed back the spear, but then the child of the owner of the spear swallowed one of the beads. And he too retaliated by demanding that the bead be given back to him. And this was a child had swollen it. So what um, had to happen was to cut the belly of the child open to retrieve the, the bead. And this uh, friction actually led to the separation of these two brothers, making the two ethnicities now of the Alur and the Acholi people. The spot where the two brothers separated is an embodiment of one, their cultural identity, because that's actually what shaped who they are today, but also coming back to commemorate this space is a recognition that, well, we have had our past that is not very friendly, but can we think differently today? Uh, the northern part of Uganda, you might be aware, has been ravaged by war. The Lord's Resistance Army that was fighting um, the current government starting from 1986. Uh, it was a long period of war and the Acholi people specifically have seen a lot that comes from civil strife. And coming to the Wanglei, it's not necessarily that they, 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 they were fighting with the Alur, but they, ha they know what exactly civil strife can do. And coming to this site really speaks to their hearts, knowing that it is a moment to not tolerate any aspects of civil strife. To the communities that we are discussing, specifically the Bakonzo people in the Renzori region, snow is an embodiment of their spiritual life, their identity, and to sum it up, their culture. There is a belief among them that their spiritual life rotates around snow because their chief deity gives life. And for them, when the water flows down from the mountains, down to the valleys, it is bringing with it life. 
it is how they look at nature. It waters their crops, it gives them water to drink, to do all economic activities. So the, the drying up of the snow is, so the, the drying up of the snow is really, an, um, uh, it amounts to really the drying up of their life. Their livelihood is attached to snow. Well, uh, let me try like this. Well, for me, I understand value as what exactly is in it. As I said, water bodies are looked at. One, of course, um, we recognize that the monetary value is important, but there is much more to that. And actually, money is only needed for what it can buy. So if, for example, my my site is being protected for uh, a livelihood, for example, if water flows to give me livelihood and that's for me what I want, then the monetary value is important if it can give me that livelihood. If monetary value were to give me spirituality, the spirituality, my connection to my being, then I would go for money, of course. But there is a lot more that money cannot buy. Connecting with people, feeling in harmony with divinity, feeling in harmony with, with nature itself cannot be bought by money. And that's really the gist of value that is beyond money. For most of the people that we've been working with, the communities, money is never if ever in the in their conversations it's mostly what these sites mean to them it's mostly whether they look at them for cleansing for example ritual cleansing because in these communities when there is for example a calamity there is of course a scientific interpretation to it but there is a traditional interpretation to it People believe when, for example, an earthquake comes and there is oral literature to support that, there is oral history to support that, there is as either an angry god, there is an angry deity, there is someone signaling, um, someone in the divinity, in the, in the divine realm, signaling the occurrence of something or telling you that you shouldn't be acting the way you should and at a certain cultural heritage site that is located around a certain river people go and consult with this deity that is signaling with them something and in many cases they will give you testimony that their questions get answered and when these are answered that really is what makes them value that site now if you replace that with money you're taking away a whole lot. Of course, they will use the money, but that's only for today. That's only for today. People have survived. They believe that their communities have survived across centuries because they have been getting this value from this cultural heritage site. They have been divining there, and they get their answers. 
there are sites that are like hot springs and these hot springs people will believe that I have healing when I go and dip myself into this water I mean we have testimonies of people who say I had moved across the width and breadth of this um, and length of this country looking for where I could get healed of this illness but it is only in this spot that I could get the answer to my problem. How much are you going to give to someone who has already spent a lot of money to try and go to a hospital but then could only get their answer in this particular support? One may argue that this is only psychological but there are those that had actually physical wounds physical illnesses and you can see that it was a skin rash it was a skin disease that had moved in different parts of the country looking for healing and they couldn't actually address it but then this person tells you i have only spent here two weeks uh, at this water body and i see a lot of change so how do you really explain that to them that is value Linnaean. 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 Future. 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 Future.